0: So there's economics, that fairly undefined discipline with differing opinions about what's right and what's wrong, pretty much driven by politics as it's much as it is by mathematics, with theories that bounce around wildly depending on who's offering them. Then there's real science, you know, physics, chemistry, biology, all the stuff we did at school, and in amongst all of that, thermodynamics, that bit of science that deals with heat and energy. Pretty fundamental, right? And surely energy is at the heart of economics economics so how did so many economists miss it out and that waste that consuming energy creates so what can we learn from thermodynamics and what part should it play in economics that's today on the debunking economics podcast with professor steve keen i'm phil dobby welcome along so steve the idea that Economics should embrace thermodynamics. Has been around for a while, hasn't it? So there was a, a, a Romanian economist. I'm sure you're familiar with him, Nicholas georgescu Rogan, Rogan, uh, who uh, Rogin, wrote the entropy yes. law yep. and mm-hmm. the economic process in 1971. It was about the same time that we saw the uh, the Club of Rome releasing Limits to Growth, wasn't it? So it's been. A, so I mean, the, the first mm-hmm. point in all yep. of this, when we, when you say that we need, you know, there needs to be more of an acceptance of it. We've been saying that for decades now,
1: and economics has gone backwards on that front at the same time, which is quite appalling. That's one reason why I I'm, I'm, got into working on uh, ecological economics to begin with, because how pathetic uh, economics has been on this whole front. It has continued to ignore the laws of thermodynamics, and uh, and, and therefore you get nonsense like uh, you know economists believing you can produce output using labour and capital alone. Uh, totally a disembodied view of how production occurs in the economy which is one reason they can't understand climate change and why when they come at it they, they think they're being wis- wisdom and it's it's pathetic so let's
0: take a step back then w- what are the mm. laws of thermodynamics and then let's uh, look at how they can be applied
1: well i've got to say first of all i, I am a an economist uh, a, <laughs> no yeah yeah unfortunately i'm a, i'm a i'm a I'm an amateur on thermodynamics. No. I've, got to, I've got to say that right from the outset. Uh, and, and thermodynamics is also one of those things that... I've forgotten who said this about quantum mechanics, but if somebody said, if you think I understand quantum mechanics, that shows that no. you don't. Okay, So it's one of those very, very hairy areas. Um, but the basic idea is, is, first of all, the amount of energy in the universe is a given. Uh, the, well, the first law of thermodynamics is energy... Can neither be created nor destroyed. So there's a, there's a set amount of energy, and that's it. And this this is one of these again things which has come out of some, largely out of observation to a large degree. The laws were worked out in an observational sense to begin with in the 19th century. But one of the first things people realised was there there isn't you cannot make energy. And this the, the the classic statement of this is there's no such thing as a, per, a perpetual motion machine. So you can't have something which it takes X amount of energy in and gives 2X amounts of energy out. does not happen. Uh, you can take energy in, you can use it to do work, and that will then transform the energy, uh, but it will not change the absolute quantity. Uh, so that's that's what's called the zeroth law. There's no... You, you, the amount of energy that exists is what you've got to use. You you, you can't create it. That's the fixed amount.
0: At uh, any point in time, though, because I mean, there's energy storage, isn't there? So when I burn oil to fuel my car, um, then I'm getting energy uh, to make my car move. Uh, I guess there was there was energy created to produce that oil, but
1: well, um, maybe you've, you've got you know if you think about your car and burning the ener- burning the oil. Uh, you've got potential energy inside the oil, it becomes, to actually make that, to make your car work, you're converting that chemical potential energy into actual kinetic energy. Uh, but to do that, you are also, uh, if you think of, particularly think about an engine as a heat engine, and this is where a lot of the insights in thermodynamics came from, uh, What if the what if the motive force that's causing you to go forward is simply... Uh, heat flowing from one point to another so you have a hot reservoir and a cold reservoir and between the two you have a wheel and if you connect the two reservoirs through the wheel then the the heat will flow from the hot to the cold and as it does so it will cause the wheel to spin and the wheel to spin makes your car go forward now that's that's the fundamental framework it's called a Carnot Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, so it's French. I'm I'm bound to be pronouncing it badly. But the Carnot heat engine was uh, one of the original concepts in working out the laws of thermodynamics. And an essential part of that is you can't do work using energy without creating waste. And that's the the, the curliest of the laws. That's the second law of thermodynamics, uh, that there's, if you're going to... um, which is what the word entropy, which is... It, that's uh, the word entropy, yeah. And uh, look it's it's a whole lot of... Basically means to disorder or waste. Or, yeah, or wasted, just kind of, it. yeah. So in So if, if a system is... Um, like The example I used to use in lectures quite regularly, and it, it, it seems to get through, is, is imagine that you uh, take all the air inside a lecture theatre and you squeeze it into one cubic centimetre. Of space, so you've got a, a hundred, you've got a ten thousand cubic meters of of lecture space, and you've got it all all the air is squared into into one cubic centimeter. Now, you want to compare that to um, if you, and then you open up the the cubic centimeter, all the air rushes out into the room. Which of those two states has more order? Uh,
0: I'd say when it was all condensed, because it's got a because it's, it's got to be in order to yeah, fit Yeah, it in. is. So that the, and, the, the, and then when you go out, you just go all over the place when you release
1: it. That's right. So that's the basic idea. The, 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 the idea of the number of states in which uh, it's feasible that all the molecules of air in the room spontaneously end up in one cubic centimetre is outrageously low likelihood of happening. And that's what's called a situation. And I always get this wrong. I've got to check it each time I bloody well do it. Low entropy. Okay, right. you have a, a very low. Hang uh, I better check that. So, yeah, low entropy
0: second. means there's a great deal of order.
1: A great deal of order. High entropy means means disorder. Yeah. Okay. So, and what that means if you think about there's a there's, let's say there's a billion 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 molecules, and that's probably an underestimate of the number of 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 uh, of, 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 of uh, you know, oxygen uh, molecules in a lecture theatre. Uh, then there's if you distribute it randomly throughout the Um, lecture theatre, if you swap one oxygen molecule from one side of the lecture theatre to the other, you make absolutely no difference in the equilibrium situation for the entire room. So there's many, 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 many ways of organising those molecules and still having the same overall distribution of molecules in the room itself. That's high disorder. That's high entropy. Um, now, when you have a, a, a when you have a highly organised state, it's low entropy. Now, you think about what's what is, and, then, and that's the overall framework. And we're talking about you know um, you know objects that don't have any um, sense of purpose to them. You know oxygen molecules in a room. What about when you then try to apply that to production? What's going on in production? Well, production appears to go in the opposite direction, and that is we're taking in a whole range of things which, even though like iron ore is more organised than just soil, uh, iron ore is less organised than steel. So you're taking uh, high entropy, it's disorganized, disordered stuff, putting it through an energy processing process you know get a bit of blast furnace you 've got to have heat coming in to do that and you turn it into slag on the one hand and iron on the other and you 've actually what we what we look at we throw the slag away and forget about it and we focus upon the iron alone and the iron is more ordered than the iron ore was beforehand and never and the other elements to, to, to make it no. so so, so, in so, going,
0: so going from low entropy to uh, to to high entropy if i've got that right going from a from a from a disorganized state to a more organized state we're still we still end up with the same amount of energy but you say but it's in a more concentrated way but, but and we've got, we have and we've got have the have waste at the same we've time we got
1: waste and, and this is yeah. this is the this is the point that uh, you can't d- produce anything without waste mm. okay uh, so and this, the the the, the uh, there's actually a lovely summary of these laws by the, by the old uh, poet Allen Ginsberg. And uh, you know, I, I had, when I first thought of the that's brilliant, who first wrote it and turns out it was Allen Ginsberg, he says the laws of thermodynamics are the following. First law, the zeroth law is you can't win. Okay, you're in a game. Law, zero, you can't win. Law, the second law, the, 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 the second um, law is that you, you can't uh, break even OK, so you're going to lose. And the, the final law is you can't leave the game. So what is that all? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the first thing, no energy is created. There's no net gain that come out of it. That's the zeroth law. Um, that the, you know, the amount of energy is a constant. Um, the, the, the first law, I'm going to jump over that to some extent. It's basically talking about uniformity. Um, but the, the, you know, the abs, the, it's the absence of capacity to create and uniformity in the system under thermodynamic equilibrium. But the the second law is you you, you can't break even. Uh, It means that if you're going to do work, you're going to necessarily waste some of the energy you use. And the basic idea there is that, taking back to the heat engine idea, if you have a hot um, uh, reservoir and a cold reservoir, and you join the two together, then the first law of thermodynamics is going to mean that the, the the hot uh, reservoir which is going to have molecules moving very quickly will just by the random you know, bouncing of molecules off each other will move towards the cold and you'll get a uniform temperature between the hot and the cold unless you continue adding you know more heat to the hot reservoir now that motion uh, will then go through the the wheel, and that will turn the wheel and you to do, enable you to do work. So, if you imagine the wheel is first of all a blocking, blocking the two, you've got the brake on, and it won't let the hot air flow to the cold, cold reservoir. Then you take the brake off, and that lets the wheel spin. That's doing work. Uh, but then the the work stops when the temperature of the hot and cold reservoirs becomes the same. Now, the only way to do that, it at, at, 100% efficiency, convert all the heat energy uh, into work, is to be able to dump that waste energy in a location which is at zero, de- zero degrees. And I don't mean, I, I don't actually not, which is at zero. I should be saying zero degrees. Mm. Zero, absolute zero, zero. Yeah. absolute zero Kelvin, zero Kelvin. Uh, and the, the third law of thermodynamics is there is no place at absolute zero, mm. So there is no place problem that you can do that. So if, yeah, you would, if, if,
0: if, if you started and you didn't delve down as far as we've done, you know, in just in the first 10 minutes of this this discussion, and you started with, mm. if you just read thermodynamics and and, and the first thing you read is that so basically there's, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's an unlimited supply of energy, then you'd go... Well, no, there's a a there's a,
1: there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a supply Well, you can't destroy then, it. You can't yeah, destroy yeah, it.
0: So yeah. whatever it is, you can't destroy it. So there's more than enough of it. You go well. That's great for, for economics, then, isn't it? We don't need to worry too much about it because it's all—it's always going to be there. And if we you, have, if we have,
1: some,
0: a, if we have some waste, well, you know, we can li- we can live with a bit of waste because there's so much of the stuff. So
1: why do we need to worry? Boy, I wasn't expecting that twist. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 let's let's bring in another cheery little subject called the heat death of the universe. <laughs>
0: I'm just, I'm, and you know, I'm, a- I'm, 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 just sitting here. I'm, I'm, I'm filling in my membership form for the, uh, for the Tory Party while I'm saying this. Now I'm just like doing, doing being the devil, well. yeah, being yeah, the devil's yeah. advocate, obviously. But I mean, you, you can apply, underst- apply
1: for the Nobel Prize you- on economics. <laughs> at the same I could part. as well, yeah, exactly. You but you could. can you could, uh, you,
0: but you could understand why people would be saying that they'll go, oh, you know, there's loads of energy, a bit of waste. Who's, who's too concerned about that if there's so much energy around? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, the trouble is that the over time, the, the second law applies at a universal rule, and energy, in, in one sense, goes from high frequency to low frequency over time. Uh, and, and that is just going to continue happening, and ultimately the ar- argument is the Earth, the universe, will become... Energy empty because the energy will be distributed with such low grade energy over such large region that will be effectively you know localized areas will have zero energy so it's not an argument for that what what it is an argument about and this is why i think it's absolutely essential is first of all you can't do anything without using energy mm-hmm. energy is absolutely essential the, the, the very first thing you have to think about in production is the role of energy and the second thing is that if you're going to use the energy to perform work, you will necessarily generate waste. Now, if those uh, and if those ideas had been part of economics, we might not be facing an environmental catastrophe in the next one or two decades. Now, you could... Because- But
0: some people would say that it it is because it's factored in in terms of price. So, um, you know, if our our use of resources is priced in. So oil is more expensive when there's less of it. If we pass the point where there's, you know, peak oil, uh, then presumably it's going to get progressively more expensive. So that would mean we would look at alternatives. And hey Presto, the environment is miraculously protected. I mean that that would, would be good. Would you the like to,
1: <laughs> I've, I've got something to sell you, which obviously you're going to be stupid enough to buy from me. Would you like but, to buy some sl- Would you like to buy some slag? There because will be, <laughs> there will be uh, no. Well, well I, 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 that is the question. Well, what, uh, what, uh, do you, then, what do you, you
0: then, Well, what you do with the slag? I grew up in the North of England. You just uh you plant grass on it and have these nice mounds all over the oh all dear, up, Yeah, up, yeah, okay, okay. And then and then kids can slide down it uh come winter. You know, that's where you that's where you do your snowboarding. Stand the slag heaps. <laughs> it's a positive, Steve. Go into get, get rid of this negative attitude.
1: We like slag oh, please, in the north. Please pass the scotch. I need some after that one. Uh, like, like, like. Yeah. You know, this, this. In, in terms of trying to bring this into mathematical modelling. Um, because the, the, the first the the way that i got into this is you know i was aware of george jessica rogan's work i've read some of it not all of it i must confess um and of course i've read a limits to growth cover to cover numerous times but mm. i was aware of the need to incorporate energy properly into economic theory and that hadn't been done uh be, because economics had uh if, if the, the when, when you did a, economics as i did back at university and school and the late 60s, early 70s, you were taught there were four factors of production, land, labour, capital, and enterprise. Yep. That's what the so-called... Okay. Well, over time, land dropped out of the equation, enterprise disappeared, and your factors of production were labour and capital. That was it, okay? And the, the neoclassicals use what's called a Cobb-Douglas production function, and that literally describes production as being a function of... Tech, a disembodied thing they call technology. Labour raised to a a, a, a a power which you the, the power is based on the share of labour in GDP which is about 0.7 uh, and then capital raised to one minus that power and the reason for the powers is that if you double all labor and, and double all capital you get double output out of it it's what they call constant returns to scale but that's the way economists think about production now in terms of a cobb douglas production function um some of them use a fancy thing called the ces production function but i think that's bull well i think it's bullshit that they use it so i won't bother bother talking about it but that's their model and that means you can produce output using labor and capital no need for materials no need for energy now that's garbage okay mm. that is just simply garbage um and i saw various attempts to try to bring it into um economic modeling, a particular by a good friend of mine, Bob Ayers. Uh, who did most of the work on the role of energy in production? But th- the way it was brought in was say, well, we've got labour as a factor of production and capital as a factor of production. We need to bring energy as a factor of production as well, and that didn't sit well with me either because it's easy to imagine tell a worker, okay, that's where that's your machine. Go and work on that machine. The machine's already there, um, and those are two. We'd like you know the worker can walk in. The machine's been placed inside the factory. How do you put the energy in? Okay, do you just throw energy at the machine and the labourer, like you know, chuck a hand grenade inside and see what happens? Of course, you can't. You've got to, the energy has to be managed by the worker and by the machine. So the, this is one of my favourite little cliches. That's my contribution to economics. Labour without capital, uh, labour without energy is a corpse, and capital without energy is a sculpture. In other words, energy is needed as inputs to both labour and capital to enable them to do work. But to do that work, because uh, the, the, the energy, not all of it is converted into uh, into work. You don't get 100% conversion. In fact, you get less than less than 50% in a generic sense can be converted into actually work at the at the aggregate level. Uh, to generate production, you must generate waste. And then what you've got is a is the fundamental integration of energy, economics, and ecology, because that waste has to be dumped back into the environment. And that's that to me. That's my way of bringing the insights of thermodynamics into economics. It isn't that we have to use the mathematics of thermodynamics, which is extremely complicated, statistical mechanics. It's called. It's an entire field of physics. Um, But you you have to be acknowledge that you can't produce anything with that energy, and to produce anything, you must necessarily generate waste. And those that to me is the fundamentals of bringing. Which, is not, insights. Yeah, which
0: we yeah. do not factor in at all. So, uh, no, not at all. So uh, And a great example is how we knock buildings down. There was someone talking about this on the radio the other day, and I think this might have been what uh, uh, Schumpeter was talking about when he was talking about creative destruction, the idea that we will destroy wealth to create new wealth. So, for example, we'll knock down a building which is per- perfectly good at performing a particular function. But we'll knock it down uh, to build something which we think will be better. And we won't worry about the waste that's been created, even though I think about half of all landfill uh, in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same around the world, is building waste because we don't care about the cost of building wealth. So we will destroy that inherent wealth uh, in whatever the function of that building was because we want to create something which is going to be more efficient. And we don't have to account for that waste in any
1: model. Yeah, that wasn't really Sean um point, Argument. but this yeah but nonetheless it, it, it is the the central uh, it, it isn't just even demolishing anything it's actually producing something in the first place. That's why I use slag as an example because when I tried to mathematically model this, it was very easy to model uh, to go from model without energy at all to one where energy was fundamentally the real really the only input because you had uh, labor taking in energy to be able to do to, to operate the machines, machines taking in energy so that the, the gears actually turn and process stuff. And the, the what I got was effectively a model with, with pure energy as the inputs and pure energy as the output, you know, non-usable energy at one end, usable energy at the other. Um, and then that was the simplest model. But then when myself and Matthias Criselli and Tim Garrett got together and tried to include matter in the modelling as well, um, we got a a real difficulty in trying to to do it intellectually because um, it's very, we're working in the idea of a single commodity. And this is again again, is a hang up in economics. Economic models, though, the the Cobb Douglas production function, which dominates neoclassicals, even the Leontief, which dominates post Keynesians, are both working in the abstraction of a single commodity. So you have a single commodity which you can either use uh, to consume or to invest. And and this is what was originally called the corn economy model, which Ricardo had. So you can imagine having corn as a consumer item. You can eat corn. Uh, it's also an investment item. You can plant the corn and then it will grow with with, with you know, sunlight and rain, which you're ignoring, uh, and soil, which you're ignoring. The One piece of corn will turn into a thousand pieces of corn and you've got production as well. Um, but... When we tried to generalise it and say, well, let's imagine a world in which you need both energy and matter as your inputs, the inspiration we had was uh, the work by John Hicks back in 1935, I think it was, to attempt to build a model uh, involving both, uh, uh, involved labour, capital and and, an input, a material input, which was, in his case, he had wheat and wheat being turned into bread. But he couldn't manage to with the model of, of wheat as the commodity how do you imagine building a factory out of wheat okay Mm. And we, we got sort of, you know, I got the same, how the hell do I do this? And then I finally got the inspiration of saying, well, the idea that uh, you can use wheat as a consumer good, that's fine. You know, you can imagine planting wheat, you can imagine eating wheat, that's easy. Um, but wheat as a, a, a machine, how do you do that? And then I thought, well, let's go to the other extreme. Let's, let's imagine a totally crazy consumption good which makes the production side of things easier to model and have you ever seen a cartoon called the the uh, the iron giant no okay it's a bit of a cult uh cartoon from the eight and the the late uh i think late 90s early uh, zeros i think um about a kid who finds a, a very philosophical giant made of iron Who's crashed on the planet? Blah blah blah. Long story. It's worth worth having a look at. So I, I mentioned. Well, mention there's a planet of the iron giants, where the, the consumers are iron giants who survive by eating iron. Okay, and you have a iron ore mine, you have a coal mine, uh, and you have a factory uh, that p- combines the coal and the iron to produce. Um, Coal and the iron ore to produce iron plus slag, which I know you guys in the north of England go mm. sliding on. But let you know it's it's a waste product, um, and and, and then the consumers could consume the iron. The iron could be used to make the machines that mine the uh, coal, mine the energy, and 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 create the factory as well. And that worked as a way of modelling it. But the essential thing was you're producing waste matter, and in this case, it's it's slag that you're producing, which cannot be used for any other purpose so what you then get is that can degrade your environment over time now that's exactly what we're doing to the planet on a global Mm. on a global scale
0: industrialization aren't we so when we if you had sort of like a stable population and we were all living off the land with crops that would just uh, replenish themselves each year and if that was enough to keep us going then we wouldn't be damaging you, – you, we, we would be, you know, would like being a stationary state. You know, the, the, the economy would be functioning and we'd be living at one with the planet. We wouldn't be degre- 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 degradating itself. That's a hard word, isn't it? Um, yeah. it's, it's industrialization which is creating this problem, isn't it?
1: Exactly, and exactly. Mm-hmm. industrialization has been, been powered by energy and the energy has been fossil fuels. Yeah. And the predominant waste we're talking about is fossil fuel waste, but it's by no means the only one. We're weight waste matter as well. Uh, on a, on a grand scale not just uh, not just the you know you know the uh, carbon dioxide but a whole range of other waste products as well so if you start from a position which respects the laws of thermodynamics you have to integrate economics with the ecology you have to accept that waste is generated and that gives you a perspective of a physical and realistic biophysical view of how the economy operates which would throw neoclassical economics out the bloody window which is where it belongs yeah so but as you said it's complicated
0: isn't it and 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 that means that's which is why you've gone down you know the road that you've gone on which is to look at complex systems and you know the systems dynamics approach uh through your Minsky model, which is uh, which which is obviously a hell of a lot more complicated than just basic economic theory, and that's but I mean it could get much more complicated because you're saying there's a whole the whole discipline of thermodynamics is hellishly complicated does economics need to go down
1: that same road even further this 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 is what georgios rogan largely acted as if you needed to bring in the mass of thermodynamics to handle production and like to, to have them the, the, the concept of statistical mechanics taking over how we think about economics and my feeling i mean i'm you know i'm not enough of an expert on his work to be didactic about this but i think that was one bridge too far um, you could, what you need is an awareness of thermodynamics as a limit, as a fundamental limit that determines how you model what you can actually do in a physical society. That's vital. Uh, but then, do you need to use that same mathematics to model production? Probably not. And that's why I've been you know, building models you know, that that include energy and include matter, uh, and, and simply have the awareness that you have to have waste energy and you have to have waste matter as part of the mathematics. Uh, And then you feed that into your overall, you know, build a model showing you have physical constraints, the amount of waste that can be absorbed by your ecosystem per unit of time, the stores of energy that you have that can be used as well. All those parts of the framework, they're sufficient to have those without actually doing a whole thing using the mathematics of statistical mechanics right so if we're boiling it down
0: it's I mean it's it's not a, a complex and it's an easily understandable notion isn't it that uh, in the industrial yeah. society where, that we live in today we we create waste and we're not accounting for it in the way we mm. we operate as a, uh, a well we we do in part in that you know if you dump water into a river as a factory maybe you're going to get charged for that uh, or, or get fined for it but we're not accounting for it in, in its full sense I mean I mean, but are we anywhere close to if we were trying to put numbers on this to include it in a in a model so that we had a more
1: stable economy?
0: I mean, we, has anyone got any idea? I mean, how do you put numbers behind pollution?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's what that's what larger with the limits to growth was attempting to do back in the in the seventies, sixties, and seventies, uh, and they did a damn good job of it, though. This I've seen so many criticisms of the limits to growth, and they're almost all ill informed. Um, uh, I saw another one today on Twitter that I had a bit of a jump on. Um, it, 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 the, the sophistication behind that, it was a case of parsimonious simplification. So rather than having like the, the multitude of, of inputs that are needed to produce, the multitude of outputs that we consume in a, in a modern society, they had a, a, a numerical factor indicating resources another numerical factor re- 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 indicating consumption and they then did a large amount of work that wasn't written up in the book itself uh, of generating an index number uh, for each of the i think it was seven major factors that turned up in the you know, pollution was one population was another uh, uh production you know consumption of a, th- a third etc etc uh, and they then producing index numbers for each of these, they made the model fit data from 1900 to 1970, and then they ran it forward. So the empirical fitting was making it fit the index numbers they generated out of those aggregate indicators from 1900 to 1970. And you know, it, 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 was, it was derided by, of all people, guess who? William Bloody Nordhaus as being data <laughs> measurement without data. In fact, that was just a, 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 a tactical mistake by the Limits to Growth Group. They published the popular report without the data appendix, and they published the actual detailed thing two years after. And in the meantime, their reputation had been trashed by Nordhaus and other neoclassical economists. But they'd done the right thing. They'd done a, a damn good job of modelling the interpendency between the economy and the ecology and the fact that if you push the economy too far, uh, the ecology won't be able to cope and you'll have a breakdown.
0: Mm. We, and that, that's which, where you reach tipping points, which adds a, another element of complexity to all of this, doesn't it? I mean, you say that you know you don't need to go down the, the complexity of thermodynamics but if you're starting to look at, uh, you know, the, the interactions within the environment, I mean, that is hellishly complicated. And I, w- I wonder if we fully understand when we uh, dump a certain type of pollution, what the flow-on effects from that are. And we might have it, we, we might put a figure on it today, hmm. but, but it might contribute to a tipping point, which would mean we actually should have put a bigger value on it because it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's speeded up another process.
1: But but if we had an economics that began from those foundations, we'd have respect for those problems to begin with. We would not have Mm. the uh, gung-ho attitude of neoclassical economics, which I saw exemplified in a new post by, uh, uh, what's his name, Uh, John Crane, the guy who calls himself the grumpy economist, uh, throwing in his late contribution to uh, uh, the economics of climate change. And it was just, you know... I, I, if I wrote a parody, I'd wrote what of how blase economists are about the impact of the economy on the ecology. I'd wrote what he wrote. Now I've got to give him some credit. I I decided to hold back and what I actually was feeling, and just wrote. Here are six references you should read, and he's published that comment on on his blog. Whether he reads them or not, I'll have to wait and see. But one important part of those was tipping points, and we are now with with the. Level of understanding we have now of the the complexity of the the planet's ecosphere, we're becoming more and more aware of just how fragile and how tenuous the the current climate is. And my the the, the tipping point that I'm focusing most on right now is Arctic summer sea ice, because uh, the the fact that the planet has the temperature it has is partially due to the fact that the uh, the, the north and south poles reflect. Uh, when they were all ice laden, reflect a large amount of the radiation the sun projects on, onto it back into outer space. So perfect mirrors, or well, not perfect, but damn good mirrors. When you replace them with with open water, which is what's happening with the Arctic, uh, the impact is you go from a reflector of energy to an absorber of energy. And in the case of the Arctic, um, this is one thing, again, the, the factoids I've learned by reading a lot of science literature, the amount of energy that falls on the on the Arctic circle during summer is greater than the amount of energy that falls on the tropics and the reason being of course the arctic uh during during summer the arctic circle is in sun 24 hours a day uh the tropics are in in sun for 12 and even though there's more energy per square meter falling on the tropics it's not it's not um, more than double what falls on the Arctic. So if we go from reflecting that energy to absorbing it, there's an enormous increase in the effective energy retention from the sun. And the calculations I've seen in some papers say that it's equivalent to roughly 25 years of the output of carbon dioxide we're doing right now. So if we... Uh, that, uh, that, that, none of this is a concern yeah. to me,
0: though. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm running my coal mine in the north of England, and, and everyone loves me because I'm... I'm contributing these slag, the heaps, nice for slag the kids, heaps for the, the kids, kids to ride kids. down. Yeah, yeah they, they love me too. Uh, mm. So, and I'm employing people locally, and so long as I don't have to pay anything other than wages and you know my cost of production, I'm, I'm happy, and so is everybody else. So, I mean, how how do you attribute attribute those those climate damages to to businesses? And there's always different forecasts as well, aren't there? So, for everyone picking mm. a bad forecast. You can always get people saying, ah, but, you know, here's another forecast which says it's it's not as bad. So there's an element of risk modelling that has to come into all of this, isn't there? And, uh, yeah. and we, we never see that. We You know, if you want to go down the easy road, then you you follow Nordhaus and you go, ah, it's not going to be that bad. Here's, here's my model. It's not really going to impact the environment as, you know, GDP is only going to fall marginally uh, because I'm going to ignore the worst forecast. Whereas if you took his and said, well, okay, there's a 20% mm. chance that's going to happen. Let's take the other 80% into your model and, uh, you know, and, and, and that says it's going to be a worse scenario. But we don't do that. No, it's we powerful. don't. And, like,
1: again, we treat the planet like we treat, a, a, you know, tossing a dice. Uh, you know, they've got a, a 50-50 chance of getting heads. If you spin it often enough, you're going to get 500 heads and 500 tails roughly if you toss it 20,000 times. The trouble is we don't have 1,000 planets if we get this wrong, there's only one planet and it's too late to reverse the damages. And that is the situation I think we've got ourselves into. And largely, it, it, having an economics which is ignorant of the laws of thermodynamics, uh, I think is a large part of why we've ended up so blind as we become so close to trip, trip, uh, tripping those, uh, those tipping points. So how do we implement it then
0: very quickly uh, using the system, that, you know, because we can't move too far from the system we have now because we're sort of wedded to it globally but how do we make a significant change to it that does embrace this this idea of thermodynamics and waste how do we implement it in a meaningful way that we can just you know slide it in to the way we operate currently we don't
1: and you're going to it's say too it,
0: It's, <laughs> it's too late. It's late. Here we go again. It's not too it's late, too, Steve. It's, be, well, there's there's too, be it's too late we to do. slide,
1: okay? Right. This is not a slide anymore. This is slam the fucking brakes on and hit reverse. Yeah. Throw the anchor out the back over, okay? But, but it's you, that sort you, of thing.
0: Right, but you know that's not going to happen because we see, you know, That's my
1: trouble. Out. We're not going to do it until after we find we're crashing. Okay, that's my my, my pessimistic uh, no, okay. expectation. So
0: we 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 are a more open society, and we realize that we're uh, we're, we're all doomed. Uh, what what should we do then? What should change? How do we well, you know the, in the, the quickest drastic, possible way?
1: Drastic reduction of consumption levels, and there, there was, there was, again, another recent paper. We're still creating waste. I mean, that that was going to be one. We're still of my creating questions waste. That, if you, if, you, if, you, if you the average American the energy consumption goes down by a factor of ten. And that's energy consumption in general, not just uh, uh, you know coal and oil, but uh, eighty a ninety percent fall in the average. Energy consumption of an American. Yeah, that's the sort of scale that's necessary to mean we don't. So these uh, are the
0: numbers tr- that Extinction Rebellion have been pushing out, and everyone's going yeah. well. That would mean a catastrophic end to if you if you cut the amount of energy that's consumed in America, you destroy the economy, and uh, yeah, now they, and, they, they and that would create they, they, a, lot, a lot of hunger and uh, poverty as, as well. Well, the burden
1: the burden has to fall on the rich for the obvious reason it falls on the poor. They're going to die, and too many of them have got guns in America to run that chance. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it's something which you know, I think there has to be. We're not going to do it until it becomes bleedingly obvious. So, you know, the the fact we had these incredible uh, heat dome, heat waves in Canada. I mean, Canada. I think Canada almost holds the world record for temperatures now on the globe. It's about one degree short of Death Valley, Um, Canada. You know. Who, who would have picked that? Um, and at the same time, the floods that are occurring on the other side of the country. This has all been potentially driven. I think I can't say because I'm not a scientist, but potentially driven by the breakdown of the Arctic summer sea ice and the impact, and this is something that, that Hansen uh, does talk about, the impact of the dramatic melting of the uh, Greenland and the Antarctic, meaning there's too much fresh water in both those extremes that they've of the conveyor belt systems that keep the ocean circulation flowing. And it may well be they're going to break down and cause superstorms. So all this stuff is... And when they they start hitting, those superstorms could... You know, if if you're going from hail, you know, massive hail one day to to absolute heat the other, your agriculture is going to fail. And I think it's going to be when that sort of thing starts happening in Europe and America in particular... Uh, then we might find realising, hell, we've got to hit the brakes. And how hard? You know, hard enough to cause G-forces in the slowdown. But
0: can't we, in the meantime, uh, just introduce an entropy tax? You know, if you are contributing to the, uh, the destruction of uh, the efficient use of energy and, and creating waste as part of that process, you should be taxed heavily for that because then that would encourage us to work in a, in a way which is going to at least alleviate some of the problems.
1: Well, that's actually how they managed to fight the Second World War. They put a put a large tax on bullets.
0: It would have worked, though, wouldn't
1: it? Imagine if both sides had done that. You reckon we could have taxed the Nazis out of existence? (laughs) Um, You know, this this is trouble. We've left we've left it too late. And the econ- economics has an incredible responsibility for leaving the situation. Uh, so, and uh, you actually you, would have, you may have seen that video of a, a couple of lobbyists in, in Washington being scammed by uh, investigative uh, reporters get, get to realise reveal that they were supporting the idea of carbon taxes because they na- knew they'd never happen. So they could actually go and make, yes, we report pur- a carbon tax, blah, 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 uh, and look like they were doing all these good things for the environment as a way of avoiding any... Reduction on the activities of, of fossil fuel manufacturers. So, uh, you know, it is just too late. It is just too late, and we're <laughs> going to. We, we won't be doing it in any market mechanism way or even any tax way. It's going to have to be a, a drastic realization. Holy hell, uh, we've we've destabilized the. The Holocene temperatures that made it possible to develop civilization in the first place. Unless we recreate those situations, we're not going to have a civilization anymore. And to do that, recreate those situations, we have a drastic reduction in our energy consumption, and. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm sure, reduction in
0: waste. I'm sure Nordhaus would say, though, if he was listening to this, I'm sure he never listens to you, but if he was listening to this, he'd be saying, well, you know, I am taking account of thermodynamics. You know, that, that's that's what I do. I am dealing with the fact that we are having an impact on, on the environment. It's just that his, his numbers are less than you might, uh, you might like.
1: His numbers are a fantasy, and so is his model, which I'm looking at right now. But well, <laughs> so, I not getting to that. We're going to I, run out of time now.
0: But, I mean, we he will. Was, but, yeah. he, but we could say, well, we need to embrace this into economics. And I'm sure he would say, I already have. It's just yeah, a question. Yeah, he'd be wrong. It, like but, he's wrong
1: about uh, the damages it, it, as well.
0: But it, it is a question about what numbers do you put in? Because it's a it's a well, it, complex it's, it's system. F- so, so aren't we also saying we just need to – modelling needs to be a lot more complex to, to, because we need to get more accurate numbers out of all of this.
1: Well, you, you, need, you need a modelling framework that actually acknowledges the interaction of the economy with the ecology mm-hmm. and the fact that the ecology is number one and the economy is number two. And no, there's no way I could accuse mm-hmm. Nordhaus of that. <laughs> All right. Very good. Uh, do you know, one time I'll
0: we'll have to... Uh, I'll, I'll just ask you the question, what's wrong with Nordhaus? Uh, oh, the, dear. Get, get the recorder going, and uh, I'll just go out for the day and, t- and turn it off when I get back. Uh, anyway, <laughs> till then, uh, good to talk, Steve. Have a great day. Well, okay, uh, we Next we're still, time, yep. Well, we still can. And uh, I'll catch you soon, if you're here next week, if, if any of us are still alive. We'll see you then. Indeed. Cheers. Okay, okay, bye. Goodbye. You know, I think the problem is it's actually not being treated as an emergency because of politics. I mean, even... Uh, things which are fairly obvious like vaccines can help you stop dying from covid you still get a vocal minority who struggle with the bleeding obvious and say well we're not going to take vaccines it's uh it's an infringement of our freedom to die so if we need to cut emissions by almost eight percent per year every year from now to 2030 that is a number that's being bandied about uh, to prevent warming getting uh, beyond one and a half degrees you know that's never going to happen because 10 years ago we only needed to cut it back 3.3 percent each year but we didn't hence the higher target now so in five years it's going to be higher still and we're just never going to do it so the problem is the deniers and equally those who underplay it like nordhaus but also maybe steve keen to the doomsayers who says too late to do anything we might as well just go and have lunch because that approach can be used as an exp- approach by those who don't want to even bother trying. Sorry about that, Steve. But I think that could be the the upshot if we all followed that approach. Anyway, we'll catch you next week for another edition of the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. I'll see you then.
1: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans.